business as usual for Klopp and Pep. It's the FPL Surgery Podcast. Welcome back, listeners. Billy, back with you again after my absence last week, where I was very ably covered by Hogs Rudd. Fantastic uh, listenership to that episode. Thank you to everyone who's uh, tuned in and given feedback on that. Fantastic stuff. Back here to review the first game week of the FPL season coming to you on the 12th of August 2019. Welcoming back, my editor-in-chief, the Iceman. Thank you very much, Billy. You were missed very much last week, in fact. Had a load of comments regarding you. Like, where's Bully? Why is he not here? They're saying, what have you done with Bully? And I was like, well, we've got someone to replace him for this week. And then they were, they were awfully sad about that. Yeah, I was locked in the Iceman's closet, but he's <laughs> let me out this week. So here I am, back once again. Welcome I'm back. really excited for this new season, Iceman. We're going to get down to reviewing it all in just a moment but first of all we've got a fantastic guest with us as per usual uh, someone very well known to those of you in the fpl community already already community wow that that's why i wasn't on last week <laughs> um he is the editor fancy football scout and fpl show panelist he runs his own podcast every week called the scout cast so we'll be taking tips from him uh, he finished 17k last year so a nice high finish welcome to the pod david monday Hi guys, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be uh, invited on and uh, talk FBL as we all uh, love to do. Yeah, welcome on, David. Yeah, great way to start the week for us. Now, David, um, obviously your your list of credentials there goes before you, but tell listeners just about how you you got into FPL, how you fell in love with it, and yeah, just how long you've been playing for. Yeah, so I've I've, I've been playing for I think it's nine, ten years, something like that. And um, what got me into it, I think, was my dad. I, I can't really remember the first year that I signed up or why I signed up I mean I would have been sort of early teens uh, so uh, yeah I mean I mean I guess I probably just signed up because I love football as most of us do um, and you know my kind of my approach wasn't really that serious until maybe three years ago like sort of my average finish was sort of around the one million mark and generally speaking my dad who watched more football than me at the time would generally beat me and then when I went to uni I kind of like picked up a bit more I had a bit more free time as students weirdly tend to have um, able to watch a bit more football do a bit more research got it more serious and then eventually I got a job as a sports journalist uh, at a newspaper in Plymouth so then I had even more time to watch football pay attention to it do some reading around the subject uh, and then basically just kind of turned to my editor at the newspaper I was at and said well look fantasy content is it's doing really well, so we could we could try doing some here, and so I, so I did that. I started writing some articles, and it just kept snowballing and snowballing until, uh, and at the same time, I was slowly getting better at it as well as you would if you continue to do more and more research. And in the end, sort of out of the blue, the legend that is Mark Southerns basically said, "Would you would you like to come and join the scout team?" So then the article was obviously yes, <laughs> and then yeah, so then got jumped, it got dropped into the F- the fantasy football scout members area, which is just. A gold mine of information for anybody, and yeah. So then, last season had my best ever finish, seventeen thousand. I mean, it's probably the only finish I'm actually proud of within the fantasy community because you know, unless you're finishing in the top sort of hundred k every year, you know, that's the kind of where you want to aim for. It took it took coming to scout to to bring that out of me. But um, if anything, um, I like to think of myself as a walking advert for the members area because it wasn't until I had that opportunity that I, I really became someone who I would consider was all right in fantasy Premier League. So. Yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a weird journey, very much influenced by my career, which n- I never intended to to land where I am now. But I can't complain. 
You've literally got the dream job, really. You get to watch <laughs> football and write about it. And now you get to watch loads of football and write about it for FPL. So it's like my dream job. In fact, when are you going to employ me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've seen all these. There's been posted on social media today of all the all the football wives who've been tweeting or Facebooking over the weekend saying, oh, I've lost my husband to, to the football. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, what he's doing this, doing that yeah. uh, over the weekend. And, um, well, I mean, yeah, I'm lucky because I just tell my wife, oh, I'm working. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, working. Yeah, um, I'm almost getting to that level where I, I can say that, oh, yeah, I'm just working. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> doing it for the podcast. That's all I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, so on the opposite, my wife gets fed up with me. So she says, go and play your silly little FPL game. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah oh poor bully not not, it's not silly not <laughs> back. But no, um, you really you really aren't living the dream there and that's i'm sure what the iceman is striving to one day uh, i think that's two job applications you've made this season <laughs> already go, yeah go keep it up well, eventually keep, someone's keep, gonna say yes put it across that cv someone give the iceman a job he, yes. he does have a job just for what it's worth <laughs> um no, but clearly, um, yeah, real history of FPL there. Absolutely fantastic. Really looking forward to uh, stealing the knowledge that you give to your followers already and using it on this podcast. Let's get into the FPL headlines for the week. So we have the top one, back to school. What have we learned from game week one? Number two, weaker without their keeper. Does Alisson to Adrian make Liverpool more vulnerable at the back? Number three, Raheem worth the extra sterling. City speed to outshining the rest for all aboard the Harry wagon um, wagon sorry on the roll after game week one number five template tried and tested first weekend advocates for the template number six is United are they false economy so let's have a look at how we got on in our last game weeks so we're going to talk through our scores and the tactical decisions that we made so first of all David how did you get on so I scored 83 points this week, which is, I think, respectable, or at least I thought it was, until I looked at sort of everybody else, or rather the 749,000 managers ahead of me. Uh, we were sort of up in the up in the 90s. I mean, I mean, all I really was looking for for game week one was just 60 plus points, just you know, enough points to kind of take the pressure off uh, and sort of help me go into game week two, probably not needing to make a transfer, feel confident that I could get to another game week, and, and I think I've done that. So I mean, if there's people out there who scored 70 points or what have you, and a bit sort of miffed by their current ranking in their leagues. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry at all because, you know, it's early days. Um, in terms of how I got to that score, I captain Salah, which I think we all did. I was very happy to, uh, to, to get those points against Norwich. It was just a bit of a no-brainer when you look at the way that Norwich played their football last season. They looked likely that they would concede, and that's, that's what they did. I had Sterling, who obviously outscored Salah, uh, which, you know, I, I'm not surprised at, but, you know, generally speaking, I... I'd, I'd looked at some of the sort of the stats and comparing the two players. Salah was generally more reliable at home than he was away from home. So again, if you're kicking yourself about you know not captaining Sterling, I mean, and you ca- captain Salah, you still made a good decision. So you know it, it's a good place to be. And a lot of my punts didn't come off, which is a bit frustrating. So my sort of my differentials, I had Vardy, I had Jota, I had uh, Robinson, I had Trossard at Brighton, and uh, yeah, uh, anyone who watched the Wolves game will know that Jota kind of was his own worst enemy, <laughs> tripping over himself, yeah. and uh, um, he's in good position. So I mean, I'm confident going into the next couple of game weeks. You know, Leicester weren't as as exciting as we expected, but again, there's fixtures that I like to look off for those players. So. You know, quite happy sort of moving forward. Yeah, Robinson and Trossard were the real, you know, left field uh, appointments from me. Robinson had a few opportunities against Bournemouth, so I think I'm sort of confident there again. Trossard didn't play for Brighton, and a lot of people have been a bit concerned, but there's been some quotes come out of Potter today where he's basically said he didn't really want to hand him his debut in an away game at Watford, you know, coming to a new league and having to... uh, 
you know, stand up to a kind of uh, well, quite a vociferous uh, atmosphere at Vicarage Lane, or Vicarage Road, I should say. Didn't want to hand him his debut there, so hints that he'll start next week. So, you know, a little bit disappointed that he didn't play. And also that then Donka came off my bench and uh, I kind of was a bit trigger happy on Twitter and <laughs> celebrated too soon about yeah. his goal that was then ruled out. You can't do um, that with VAR nowadays. No, yeah. it, it's completely changed the way <laughs> we play FBL now. You've got to wait. You have to wait. But yeah, yeah 83 points. Very happy with that. You can't complain, really. You've got a, f- a fair amount of punts there. So you've got Robinson and Tossard and then Gilbert, who didn't play either. Yeah, Gilbert was on my, on my bench. Yeah, yeah, so he's another player, actually, who I was expecting to play and, and didn't. Not so confident of him starting next week. We'll have to see. I mean, I think it could be a case of well, these new players, perhaps, you know, they play a lot in preseason, so clearly they want to use these players, you know, Trossard, Gilbert, but perhaps, you know, an away match sort of uh, against tough opposition, perhaps maybe managers just want to ease them in nice home game a game where they can be in in control of the ball or or something like that so we'll have to see we'll have to see yeah okay and uh, Iceman how did you fare in the first week yeah see I I really kind of thought I did really well at first and then I've looked back a bit like David and I thought oh well I could have done better always striving to do better I I finished on 85 in the end so yeah what was it 593,000 overall so yeah pretty good yeah, I did the same as David. Captain Salah had Sterling. Uh, I didn't go for the three Bournemouth in the end, which looks to be the the good route. But they are playing Villa next, so who knows? Yeah, Pope and Goal got me the eight along with Van Dyke. I did choose the Van Dyke option over TAA and left that 0.5 in the bank. Kind of glad I have, even though TAA still looks really, really dangerous. But yeah, pretty good so far. Yeah, nice score, Ice Man. Uh, I was delighted with my first game week. I Scored 92, um, which uh, is probably the most I've scored in a long, long time. So, yeah, that put me in the top 200k for the first game week. Bonus. Tactically, okay, so in the interest of learning from last season, that was one of the big things we reflected on in the end of season podcast. It was, what could we do differently? And one of the things I said to myself was, next year, if there's obvious picks, don't try and be clever. Just go for them. So, usually on the first day of the season, I like to spread my money out. But this time I invested in the big players. So I had Virgil van Dijk, Sterling, Salah, Kane up top as well. I had Robertson at the back. I said, right, let's have those high-scoring players in. They're most likely. And then we'll just build around them. Unfortunately, they, they all came in. I thought Captain and Kane would be a differential. And it nearly wasn't until the last 10 minutes of the game. So I got lucky there. But Harry did the business. But the one I was most happy with was Ryan coming in with some decent points for for Brighton. I've got two cheap rotation keepers. And I thought, well, let's give uh, give Ryan a go. He's bound to start. And uh, somehow they, they pulled off a clean sheet. The only thing that gave me any confidence with that was I wasn't that convinced that Watford would pick up uh, with a bag full of goals this season. So, yeah, very happy with that uh, start of the season. Yeah, very strong. You've gone straight to the top of our cash league. Got cash straight to the now. cash league, yeah. So we'll see how long that lasts. But, uh, yeah, happy Just with end that. it now. <laughs> end it now, yeah. Uh, so... Just to mention on Patreon, so again, we've had some absolutely fantastic support to get us started this season. As ever, patreon.com forward slash FPL Surgery. The new patrons this week, so we've had Lee Baring, uh, Ollie Callione, they joined the prize league level this week. John Eric Torstenstein joined at the prize draw level. Jordan Weber, Harrogate Badger, Eddie Fredericks, Silas Bartlett, Ian Malone, Christopher Brennan, Todd Rollap, Michael Sloan, Luke Barlow, Scott James, Steve Cookson, Bjorn Christopherson, Matt Angel joined at the Slack level, and Ron Frost has changed his pledge all the way up to the guest level. He will be appearing 
on the podcast at some point. Thank you, Ron, and to all of our, our new patrons. Fantastic support for the podcast. Hopefully you're all seeing that the quality of the prizes we're giving out is reflected in the support that we're getting with the all-new stress balls this season, Iceman. Oh, yes, the stress balls. They can't wait to have them, can they? Thank you very much. We've got loads of new patrons uh, the last few weeks, so it's been great. We love all of our patrons. Yeah, really, really appreciate the support. Massive endorsement from Jeremiah Johnson, who is currently in our Slack channel and as a patreon my endorsement for the slack channel to promote patreon uh, the slack uh, for me has been invaluable insight from uh, all the involved fpl managers who think through together their various strategies so it's not a massive group think but a well-rounded sanctuary of fpl wisdom and humor from really good thinkers and drinkers particularly fpl sexy and mad hatter steven's team planner is the best tool of its kind and the iceman's latest thread for individual live matches makes my pants tight lovely <laughs> Um, get on board do yourself a favour support the Patreon unless you are one of my mini leagues basking the brilliance of the FPL surgery slack channel Jeremiah is an absolute legend in our slack channel he's the biggest maverick that I know very happy to have him as a supporter so thank you Jeremiah for your kind words really appreciate them yeah fantastic thank you for that Jeremiah and uh, thank you to all of our patrons and slack followers and uh, yeah your support's greatly appreciated so let's get into the FPL headlines we've kept David long enough so top headline we've gone back to school this week what did we learn in game week one so we've got a couple of questions here and nt abroad this is from slack what have you learned if anything from game week one jay ros has asked uh, who didn't return that caught your eye who did return that we can ignore what were your 50 50 calls prior to week one and adrian farouk has asked uh, at what point does a knee-jerk bandwagon become a uh, must-have essential kane rashford pookie mcginn so loads of questions there. I think this is all about reflecting on week one. David, do you want to try and answer a few of those? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll start with uh, who didn't return that caught your eye and kind of bring it back to uh, Diogo Jota. You know, I still think had, I don't want to say a good game because, you know, he, he, he did fluff his lines on occasion. But I mean, I think, you know, most football fans will tell you that, you know, a team that's in trouble is a team that's not creating chances and doesn't look dangerous. And I think Wolves still look dangerous. And we know that Jota is a player who has quality. And, you know, on his day, on a usual day, I should say, would would put those chances away and wouldn't trip over his own feet. Um, you know, there's they've got the sort of the added dimension of the Europa League, of course, which, you know, maybe played a part. You know, they've just done a 6,000-mile round trip from Armenia. But, of course, for game week two, uh, they'd have just been at Molyneux on the previous Thursday night playing a team and they're going to play the kids because they won the first leg against the Armenian team 4-0 so I would imagine that Jota is going to be fresh and ready for a Monday night game under the lights at Molyneux which is going to be a fantastic atmosphere they, they love their, their night their night games at, at Wolves their pyrotechnics and their fireworks and everything it's going to be a great occasion and Wolves generally tend to up their game against the big teams did very well against the top six last season including against Manchester United who I think we could probably all agree that for the first half first sort of hour you know, Chelsea caused them some problems. You know, I, I know that Man United kept that clean sheet, but I, I wouldn't be expecting loads of clean sheets from them this season. So I, I think that Wolves can go and surprise Man United in that game, maybe win 2-1, 3-2, something like that. And if they're going to score those goals based on the positions that Jota was taking up the other night, uh, the other afternoon, I should say, I think maybe he can be someone who kind of rewards people for a bit of patience for game week two. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like you say, he did fall over a couple of times. He should have scored. He looked okay, but he did look a bit tired, didn't he? So I don't know whether that is a reflection of that Europa League game. And they're 4-0 up, so surely they should play a weaker side on Thursday. Yeah, I think Catrone will probably come in for that yeah. Thursday game. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But like you say, they do turn it on against the bigger teams. So I'm expecting the same thing. I mean, I don't know what the... I was just having a quick look what the results were last year for Man United. I know they did beat them last year, didn't they, at some point? Yeah, that's right. I think it was definitely at least the FA Cup, I'm sure. And I think they may have done it in the league as well. They, I know that they drew away at Old Trafford as well. Very spirited performance in the early part of the season when Raul Jimenez was sort of first coming to the fore. Yeah, they, they, they actually won more games against the top six than they did against the bottom six last yeah. season. So, you know, you can flip the fixture difficulty ranting on his head for, for, for Wolves. So, yeah. Yeah, he, he's definitely one of my players, which yeah, I really thought should have returned, but obviously didn't. But another one was was Perez for me. Kind of disappointed in the end, didn't he? I mean, he was playing a little bit more on the wing the whole game, didn't really have any shots throughout, but he is starting. He's getting that 60 minutes. He looks like he's coming off at that 60-minute mark, which is a little bit worrying, but I'm still hopeful for him for the next game as well. Just a bit disappointing for, for the game that's just gone. Yeah, okay. What about, some, what about some of those other questions? Sort of players who, outside of United, that really caught your eye? Who really caught my eye? Well, Harry Kane. Let's talk about Harry Kane, I think. Yeah, he, he didn't have a particularly good first half, but this, but he had a heck of a lot of shots. So when I say caught my eye, I don't quite mean what he did on the pitch uh, in terms of quality or because he, he didn't look that great for the first half. But when you look at the stats, which is something that I do quite a lot, the, the amount of shots that he had in that game was was huge, and and generally speaking, you get a lot of fantasy managers who, well, they'll 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 look at players who are having lots of shots. I mean, Salah has historically been a popular asset because he shoots a lot, and it's kind of like law of averages. If he's going to shoot a lot, then you'd like to think that a lot of them end up in the net, and that's very much the case with Kane when he's at his best. And we didn't really see enough of that last year, and we didn't see enough of it in the first half until Eriksson came on. So if they can hold on to Eriksson and he can keep having the shots, then once we get this Man City game out of the way, because I think that's really the... I kind of ties into the question of who did return that we could ignore. I think we can probably ignore him for game week two, but when game week three comes around, I think we've all got to have an idea, if we don't have Kane, what is your Kane entry plan? Because I think he's going to have a really good season if he continues to shoot with the same regularity as he did in the Villa match second half. And in his best campaigns, he's always done it when he's just absolutely shooting from the hip. Yeah, he, he is one of these players that, like James York said on the past podcast, keep mentioning James York every so often, but shot volume is a massive thing for him. And he did get the eight shots, but I, I was watching the whole game and I didn't think he was that threatening. I thought that it was a little bit anomalous just kind of shooting from anywhere. I mean, I, I looked back at the game and I was using kind of XG for this for a single game to confirm my thoughts about what I'd watched. And on Kane, only the first goal he scored and a block shot were above an XG of 0.1. And 0.3 is, or above is considered a decent chance, according to James York. The rest of his shots are actually below 0.07 xg and it was just kind of an observation of mine because i wondered how he kind of got those eight shots like, i didn't really notice them i know i was watching but uh, <laughs> i didn't either to be fair I, I it was only of, something i noticed afterwards yeah i kind of found the xg calculation showed me what i thought and i was thinking well it is kane it's not to say that yeah he's not a great asset and i, I do agree with you i still think he's going to be one of the top goal scorers he does get that shot volume which is great <laughs> to have and he's selfish and he's a great fpl asset to have as a whole isn't he mm, yeah absolutely yeah he, he really scares me i mean 
It kind of ties into another question, actually. The 50-50 calls prior to game week one, Kane was one of them. Anyone who sort of saw me madly tinkering on Twitter will have noticed that I had Kane in my team pretty much since day one of, of the game launching. And mm. I had a really unbalanced like squad. I had a really unbalanced squad of Salah, Sterling, Kane and Vardy with um, a lot of chaff uh, <laughs> around it. Uh, as you have to if you're going to try and go for the chaff. big four players. Yeah, look, you, you're getting doozies and you're, you're just, yeah. You're, I had like two 4.5 million midfielders. You know, you never want to be forced into starting Dale Stevens, put it that way. Um, you know, I had, uh, it wasn't very balanced. And in the end, you know, my 50-50 call was, do I go with Kane or do I spread the cash? I opted to spread the cash. And obviously, you can argue it didn't pay off because, you know, my, my Robinsons, my Trossards, my Jotas and my Vardys didn't deliver. But, um, you know, I'm I'm sort of fairly confident that my structure is it is in a goodish position, kind of going into. I really Kane for me is not a pressing concern until game week three. I think if anyone's worried about not owning Kane right now, don't look at the fixtures and and just calm down because it's Man City away. You should yeah. be fine. Yeah, you should. Um, you can't see like him scoring hat tricks and stuff in those games, surely. Yeah, and if he does, it's not like you know, and you miss out. I don't want to say you've been unfortunate, but like no one's no one sees that coming. So you know, I wouldn't be too worried about that. Other other fifty fifties that I had, I think a lot of other people had these. Zinchenko versus Laporte. I went Zinchenko because he's cheaper, and I was fairly confident he'd start. I had Dino against Coleman, which was a big one over the summer. Caused a bit of a storm when I dared even suggest it was worth considering. Yeah. Uh, but then in the end, um, you know, Sadibi signing just kind of a lot of my golden rules in FPL is you've got to be certain someone's going to start. So even though I was Fairly confident Coleman would start game week one. You know, just kind of moving forward. You don't want to be making these transfers if you can help it. So I thought, well, I had 0.5 left, so let's get Dina just on the strength of starts. And then the big one was uh, Alexander Arnold versus Robertson because I am I am an Andrew Robertson fanboy, as many of us are. He was the only player I had from game week one to game week 38 last season. You know, he was he was a steady Eddie. He always delivered. You knew he was going to start because his competition was rubbish. And now he doesn't even have competition anymore. But I went with Alexander-Arnold in the end, despite concerns over sort of whether or not he might play a bit less because of Gomez, you know, the community shield. People saw him come off when Liverpool were struggling a bit defensively. I kind of opted to ignore that because I figured that that was really something that would cause Liverpool problems against your big teams. And they were starting the season against Norwich, Southampton, Arsenal at home. I think I think Liverpool win that easy. You know, Burnley, Newcastle, those sorts of teams. Not really concerned about his game time in those games. And, and we saw in the second half of last season that Alexander-Arnold was just creating chances at a faster rate of regularity than Robertson and just ended up finishing with a lower overall total score because he'd missed some games of injury. And of course, he's on the direct free kicks as well. So I'm actually quite happy with, the, with even though I've stabbed my boy Robbo in the back, <laughs> I'm quite happy with going Alexander-Arnold. And obviously, of course, against Norwich, he outscored him. So good start, I think, on a lot of those 50-50s. Yeah, does it? It sounds it. Like, I mean, I could go through most of my fifty fifties, but I think we'll be here all night. Uh, <laughs> the, but if we if we go back to the earlier question, kind of what we've learned, um, I suppose you don't feel like you've learned a great deal this game week. I don't think. I mean, like Watford don't don't look investable, whereas they did before. Brighton, I think they have a little bit more hope than before. A lot of people saw them as relegated. Maybe Villa, they look even investable with their team, even though they lost three one. Burnley, again, another team which kind of surprised us a little bit. Ashley Barnes seems to be taking off again. He, uh, last season, was pretty good and don't think people have spoken about him enough. Harry Kane, at least he wasn't playing too deep, but he looks better with Ericsson on the pitch. So there's various lessons we've learned. 
Uh, I suppose the likes of Arsenal not really got going. There's quite a few teams which I don't think really, even the likes of City and Liverpool, even though they, they absolutely spanked it, I don't think they're well drilled at the moment. I don't think they're fluid yet. So I don't think there's that much more we can tell from this game week than we could even before the season started. Okay, so uh, yeah, I think we've answered a few of the points there. We'll likely cover them over these as we go through the pod uh, with the different headlines and questions. But headline two is weaker without their keeper. So does the Allison injury and Adrian becoming number one make Liverpool vulnerable at the back? What do you think about that, David? Well, I think that's certainly a possibility. I mean, some people are sort of concerned that Adrian is a bit error-prone. Um, I know a few West Ham fans, including my own dad, who would, who would tell you that. But, I mean, Allison is a goalie who has a bit of an error in him as well. I mean, we saw when he first came to the Premier League, I, I think the first time they didn't keep a clean sheet and with Alisson in goal was when they played Leicester, I think. And, and, he, and basically, it was just a goal from the fact that he tried something really silly in the corner and just got caught out. And now he gets out scored, perhaps. So, you know, I wouldn't... I mean, Alisson's a good goalkeeper, of course, but even even Klopp will tell you he's a bit, you know, eccentric. Um, in terms of... But, but I think goalkeeper aside... I do actually have some concerns about Liverpool's defence this year, and I sort of raise them a little bit over the summer because we noticed a trend last season that they obviously were fantastic for clean sheets in the first half of the season. They kept uh, clean sheets in 60% of their matches in the first 19 game weeks and obviously were the best for that particular statistic. But in the second half of the season, they kept them in just 50%, which of course is still good, not not uh, knocking them at all. But um, Man City and Everton both kept more clean sheets during that period than them. And of course... You know, that Man City and Everton offering some cheaper defenders. Luka Dinho at six million, Zinchenko, I've got him at 5-5. Five, five. So I certainly, at the start of the season, never really considered a double up on Liverpool's defence. Sort of for that reason of that sort of trend of them kind of becoming more of a team about scoring the goals rather than keeping the clean sheets. Where Man City went in the opposite direction. You know, they didn't score as many goals and they kept more clean sheets. Um, and then, of course, just sort of the icing on the cake, really, was that even in the sort of first half, even when Allison was on the pitch, Norwich really went for it. And Norwich, yes, are an attacking team. But basically, when it got to full time, we saw that Norwich had 12 shots uh, at Anfield, which was basically double what the average they can, that Liverpool conceded per game last season at, in home matches. You know, Anfield was really where, where they controlled games. And I think, you know, people didn't really see that coming, that Norwich would have so many opportunities. So... I am a little bit concerned uh, about their defence, definitely. David, I don't think I'm going to get you on again because you keep on using all the content which I've got ready to say. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You, I've, <laughs> sorry. Obviously, I've obviously taken it from your site. So <laughs> there's no surprise there. <laughs> no, I was going to say the same thing in terms of they have a fair amount of shots against them. I know you've you know, really piped up on uh, TAA, but there is a, a defensive aspect to, to him which I don't like. Uh, he's not as good defensively, and that does allow Klopp to want to put in the likes of Gomez. So changing it around, I'm still not 100% on the changing it around. As mentioned on a few other podcasts, there will be some digression on their defence and their amount of numbers for this year, I think. So, yeah, I think I agree. The, the problem with the um, Allison-Adrian switch, I don't think it's going to be that long. I think the latest word on Alisson is who only, only miss a few weeks. So I wouldn't necessarily go for Adrian if you've got Alisson at the moment because it might be like a worth a, a double transfer down the line waiting to happen. So yeah, I would steer away from that. Maybe go for someone else like in a 4.5 region. But yeah, I don't think it makes much difference to the Liverpool defence either with the Alisson to Adrian switch. But I think that it will be just business as normal for Liverpool. Yeah, I think even if they do concede one or two, what you'll make back in assists and potentially goals going forward kind of writes off that, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So 
Mm. I'm not too worried about it either. Liverpool's main rivals for the league, of course, or rather the, the team they're chasing is, uh, is City. So Raheem worth the extra Sterling. So is Raheem Sterling outshining everybody else? And we include the likes of KDB in that. So David, do you think the extra million or two you're going to fork out for Raheem Sterling makes him worth it over the other City assets? I, I reluctantly think yes. I mean, I was someone who wanted to not have him and then sort of be a bit savvy and go with KDB. Um, and and thankfully, I didn't well. do it. Yeah, I mean, I think we all did. I mean, it, it was a good thing to look at because KDB, when he's on his day, is just incredible. I mean, I think when he's at his best, he is the best player in that team. I, course, I still think he is above Sterling in terms of being a best, better player. But as an FPL asset, I think Sterling exactly. is just way above him. Exactly. I mean, Sterling's kind of... He's, 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 he's transformed as a player under Pep. I think we can all agree on that. And as, as an England fan as well, it's fantastic to yeah. see. He's very much a forward now. And I think that, um, uh, that Pep sees him as such. I mean, so, I mean, he plays... Generally plays on the flanks of that front three. So for from a um, from an FPL perspective, thankfully, thank the FPL gods, he is still a midfielder on the game. But when you when you hear Pep talk about him, he does describe him as as a forward, and and because effectively he's an inside forward, isn't he? So um, you know you look at the heat maps for for Saturday's game, and he's the furthest advanced of any City player, including Jesus, who technically was the centre forward. You know, he, he's always top for penalty box touches. You know, he's he's very he's he's always doing very well for for shots. So more shots in the box than any other player in that game. In fact, double of any other player. But it's not just think, that; he's a sister as well, isn't he? That's exactly. the, one of the best things. I think. I think really, what you you look at the the difference between De Bruyne and Sterling, and you, you want to say, well, what am I paying extra for? And really, what you're paying extra for is that penalty box threat. Because De Bruyne, I think, actually had a shot more frequently than Sterling last year. So his minutes per shot was better. But Sterling's minutes per shot in the box was just miles, miles better. So whilst they both have some creativity, Sterling just has both. I mean, he, he's, he's as close to salary as you're going to get a player who can give you goals and assists. 12 million is a perfect price. You just got to bite the bullet. You've got to do it. And anyone who didn't have him this week was really sort of like left in the wake of people who did. Yeah, totally agree. Okay, yeah. Headline four then. So all aboard the Harry bandwagon. I mean, we, start, we talked about this a little bit already. Jamie Dodd asked, seeing quite a few really good teams of Salah, Sterling and Kane, are we kidding ourselves by saying having these three players leads to an unbalanced team? I think that's probably a better question. What are your thoughts on that, David? Yeah, I mean, like I sort of said before, looking at the start of the season, when you're trying to fit all of these players in, it is a bit unbalanced. I saw, I mean, I semi sort of regret going with Kane, going with Vardy over Kane, because I think I probably could have come up with the format where... Because basically anyone who had 90-plus points this week, they had Salah, Sterling and Kane. And they probably had Perez because, you know, Perez could potentially be a cheaper version of Vardy. Although, of course, uh, as you mentioned, it's sort of near the top. Perez kind of played on the wing. But, you know, I, I, I probably could have got... If you have Salah, Sterling and Kane, I think you can still have a balanced-ish team. It just might mean that you can't, you know, have have your, a Vardy or a Firmino or a De Bruyne. But actually, if those, if you, those three big players, I think... Once once we get this Man City game out of the way, I think that's they're going to be the kind of that's going to be the setup everyone's got. It's going to be the template. You got to have those three players, and then kind of sort of make the difference elsewhere. Yeah, I think the problem is with going those three players at the moment, which is why one of the reasons why I didn't to start with is, is because yeah, if one of them blanks and you've got your fodder or whoever you've got for the likes of Hayden or or whatever it is in midfield, you just say Kane blanked this game week, which he was very close to doing, then. 
you've not got those other players to back you up, even though those other players which we did have this week didn't really perform for us. But on another week, they're probably going to, because they're just, you know, they're worth more, so they're just going to be better players in summary. So that's the problem about going there. I, you know, I have set up my team, like we were mentioned earlier, in terms of structure, and I've got the two Bournemouth players, Fraser and Wilson, so I'm looking at moving them out for either Son or Kane or KDB or one of those players, Game Week 3. So I've always had that plan in mind, and I'm hoping that I didn't get any injuries or anything to scupper that. It, it does look like a possibility, you know, if, if Kane is even performing against City, or if he's, you know, playing further forward still, and looking like he's still getting the match shots, I do think that he may be the option I go for. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with him for now, even against uh, even with his next fixture. I fancy him to maybe bag one or two in that game. You've got to hold him if you if you still got him. Absolutely hold him because you're going to get the price rises out of him because everyone's going to be after him game week three. I, I'm going to bring it back because as we were talking about Sterling, I was looking at Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne, and I've used your comparison to them on the site, David. I love it. <laughs> I've compared Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne and Sterling from Kevin De Bruyne from 2017 and Sterling from 2018 because obviously that was when De Bruyne had his amazing season. And De Bruyne wins overall, if you're looking at in terms of percentages yeah. and key aspects. You see the goal involvement, though. That's where Sterling wins. He got 36 goal involvements to Kevin De Bruyne's 26. So that's the big difference in that. But I suppose he did get a few more games as well. But there are a few things there in terms of attempts on goal. Even De Bruyne got 94, whereas Sterling got 77. So it's not to show that Kevin can do it this year. There is a potential there, but at the moment, well on side the Sterling. Mm. I mean, it would be so great if we could have both. I mean, some people have made room for both. Yeah. But it's tough to do. It's Kane complicates the problem. Um, and I think yeah. Leicester will probably complicate it as well at some point as well. It's a shame. It's a shame that we can't have both. I wish that Sterling was a bit cheaper, but, you know, the, the people who make these prices, they love to see us squirm. Yeah. <laughs> you can't have everyone, can you? No, it really is a conundrum season long. I think this leads us nicely into the next headline, which is the template tried and tested now. So the first week advocates for the template. Jeremiah has said uh, game week one knee jerks to avoid versus sound investments. Anyone else you haven't mentioned so far, David? Well, so I think that a lot of people are interested in Brighton uh, right now because of the, the Watford game. And I'm certainly interested in the nice fixtures. Um, but yeah, I just, I kind of just generally want to touch on them as much as I can this week and just sort of urge a bit of caution because we, I spoke to a few people who are Watford fans here at the game on Saturday and they, they said that Watford were, were absolutely dreadful. Um, and the way that you look at, so I mean, just to sort of push, push the members area again, uh, you can go and have a look at the heat maps of the game. And it, for a Watford fan, it does not make for very nice viewing in terms of how, uh, Javi Gracia set them up. He basically, he theoretically played a 4-2-2-2, which is effectively, what is that? It's sort of like a 4-4-2, but the wingers are pushed a bit higher. But when you look at the heat map, it looks like a 2-4-4. It's just absolutely mad. It just, it, they completely exposed themselves in, in the, in the fullback areas. They played De La Fe, who was a winger, and he didn't, didn't track back to help Holobas, so he got kind of overlapped a lot. Same sort of thing happened on the other side with Will Hughes. So it meant that Brighton just found so much joy. In, in the wide areas, playing a 3-4-3. And it kind of painted a very imbalanced view of the game. It was actually quite scrappy. But whenever Brighton had the ball in wide areas, they just completely tore Watford apart. So I think it's one of those games where if you expect Brighton to sort of like hit three goals again in game week two, you might be a bit disappointed. 
And of course, Graham Potter is a manager who likes to rotate, as people from Swansea have told us before. So, you know, if you're if you bring in it, sort of you basically bring in any Brighton player who did well last week, I wouldn't sort of like be too shocked if it turns out that if they, when they go up against West Ham, if West Ham kind of are conscious of the fact of not exposing themselves in the fullback areas, it could actually be. I don't. It's not. I can't see it being three 0 again. So yeah, that's that's one thing just worth pointing out. Sometimes when there's a big result, it turns out that one of the teams was just really bad <laughs> rather than the other yeah. team being really good. I'm quite excited about Potter though. He's you know I do think he's a decent manager and might have brought something different there. Whereas I do think Brighton were stagnating come last season with Houghton. Oh, boy, uh, Houghton, yeah. sorry. Um, so it's yeah, you know, there is a little bit of something. They've got Tossard to come in as as you mentioned earlier. He didn't start yeah. with Pascal, so there is certain aspects to that which are hopeful. But again, it's that word again, hopeful. So yeah, kind of <laughs> kind of agree, kind of disagree. I think one of the things which I don't think people should just jump up or tear up their team to go for is the likes of McGinn a lot of people are looking at him just based on this last game I know he scored he was pretty decent and he did well last season what was it I think six goals and ten assists I can't remember what it was now but I might have to check that one but he everyone seems to be looking at bringing him in or ripping up their teams to do so I wouldn't necessarily do that with him he did finish well but he wasn't involved in, uh, that much in the whole game because you know, Spurs were just peppering the goal in the end. So I would just be careful on that one for knee-jerking him. Okay. Um, and Abdullah has asked, when is the right time to target value picks? So plan for the long term, and when is it okay to just gamble on high point returns in the short term, i.e. three premium attackers? Yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, when you, when you look for these players, I mean, it kind of comes, comes down to, I mean, we've all sort of been talking about formations and and whether or not we're setting ourselves up to be flexible. And I think you want to try and get on the sort of value picks as soon as you can, but also whilst sort of like waiting for there to be a little bit of data to kind of back up these things. So I'll use Brighton as an, as an example. You know, right now, I wouldn't sign a Brighton, Brighton player for game week two. But uh, as you mentioned there, plenty of promise for Brighton, some nice fixtures as well. And, and the, the sort of nice fixtures go on for you know, a, a, fair, a fair while so that you, there's enough time for them to record some data that you can sort of go back after maybe three weeks, four weeks, and and then and then go for them, um, because you, that gives you enough time to see if they're if any of their particular players, let's say it's Trossard or maybe it's um, Mope or, or Murray or or whoever it may be, notice that they're consistently you know maybe having four shots in a box per game or you know basically effectively just consistency, not necessarily of points but of points potential. So I think game week four or three or four is normally a good time I think to jump on these players. Um, especially when you've got sort of your wild card to sort of fall back on as well, because if you, so game week two, I think is the wrong time to jump on cheap players, regardless of what's happened in game week one, because the the fixtures are reversed. I mean, you know, you've had a, you've had one game week where half of the teams in the Premier League have played at home and half of the Premier League teams have played away. And there's so many players out there who can only perform at home or some of them only perform away. Gerard De La Feo is guilty of that Mm. as, as most people. He's rubbish at home and he's fantastic away. So there's, so there's a lot of players who potentially have that sort of trend really hard to identify that after one match yeah so yeah it is difficult I suppose we've got last season's data to go on but yeah I would stick with the tried and tested is the main key here I mean like we had a headline there of template tried and tested first weekend advocates for the template my team was exactly the template and I think I scored quite well 85 is not bad uh, I always think that you can do better but you know these templates are, I almost hate the word because <laughs> I chose my team not based on copying others or seeing what others have done I looked at it based on each player and their memory 
merits and I wanted them in my team. So it just happened I have the exact template and I left 0.5 in the bank just in case to, you know, move other players around. But it's a good team. I've got a decent team. I've got the structure. I think keeping to that particular template is not a terrible thing to do. And I don't think you need to just necessarily look for value this early. I think when the value is obvious, you just get them in when they're obvious. At the moment, mm-hmm. I don't think they are. You're going from one game week. You know, McGinn is another example which I'm going to use. Maybe he's going to be value. Maybe he's going to go up to, you know, 6.0 in the end, which will be great. But you don't know that yet. And you've got no uh, data or anything to prove that. So you're just going on a punt. And if that doesn't turn out, that's another transfer that you have to make later down the line. Transfers are, they're valuable transfers. And you don't really want to throw them, out, uh, throw them about willy-nilly. You want to maximise on them. So yeah, I would say just stick to what you know is the is the key thing here. Yeah, I think that's good advice, Iceman. Sensible from you as always. Our final headline before we get into our more general questions. United, false economy. Andy, the golf pro has asked, Man United, wait and see or dive right in. <laughs> With regards to United, I think it's too early to kind of worry about rushing to bring in the likes of Rashford and Marshall. I mean, that's where everyone seems to be going. It's, it's a valid if you had Marshall to start the season, then great, you've benefited from that. If you had Rashford, same thing. He only had the one good chance though. I know he scored it and so did Rashford. They, they did well on their counter against Chelsea against a, you know, a not very organized Chelsea team in the end. I mean, it's not like they were firing loads at Kepa. I can't really remember Kepa making any saves, to be honest. There's definitely not any rush to get them before the Wolves game either. Defensively, Chelsea hit the woodwork as well. So if you're looking at the likes of Aaron Wan-Bissaka or De Gea, yeah, if Abraham's shot went in, then that kind of changes the whole complexion of that whole game. I mean, like this week they allowed the second most shots of any team just behind Villa, I think it was. So yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily charge in and dive right in. I still think they're, they're a wait and see for me. I mean, Marshall, he was given the number nine, wasn't he? So that, he is playing out of position. So that is a good thing about him. But I did check out his, his shots and his XG because he had four shots that game. Three of his shots were below 0.09 XG and that you know, not necessarily considered any good. Two of them outside the area, and one of them was the edge of the box, which was blocked. And then his goal was just a tap-in. So you've got to think about these things as well. And Marshall was renowned for kind of letting us down when we were relying <laughs> on him. I think we need some consistent numbers from him. Yeah, I think I agree with you. We need to we need to wait and see. I mean, you, you've touched on a, on a subject there, which I think is really important. The fantasy managers have to consider. So I think, and this isn't sort of like, you know, knocking uh, any, any individuals who think this way, but whenever we see someone sort of who, who has maybe in the past played at wing, uh, winger, uh, wide midfield, and then gets pl- put into the centre forward role, there's often this kind of buzz of, oh, look, 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 we've got a new out of position asset. And that's kind of different to someone like we've seen, like maybe Salah, because, um, or maybe like a, or Robinson, for example, where perhaps maybe the classification's a bit off. So Robinson just is a centre-forward. The fact he's a midfielder on FPL is sort of a bit of an oddity. But I'm really talking about players who started as wingers and shifted to a centre-forward's role. It wouldn't be the first time, let's say Martial doesn't succeed in that role, it wouldn't be the first time that that happened. We saw Richarlison last season. There was a buzz when he got shifted to centre-forward, but actually wasn't really the right player to play there. And And he got some attacking returns there, yes. But I think Marcus Silva eventually realised that the experiment wasn't working and shifted him back to the wing. He got a bit better again, and they've obviously signed a new striker from Juventus. And 
Um, you know, Sterling, for example, when he when he's played up front for for England, I know is a different sort of prospect to Man City, of course, but. You know, so he could be quite wasteful. You know, he's not his movement's not necessarily always um, what you'd expect from a centre forward because he's used to sort of cutting in from the wing. So it's possible that that could happen with Martial, and you've you've touched on it perfectly there. You, you've you've mentioned, of course, that he was playing centre forward, yes, but the xG of his shots wasn't very good, and two of his shots were outside of the box. So you know, someone being a centre forward doesn't always necessarily translate into them sort of operating like one, if that if that makes sense, because it might not be the right position for them. I think there's still an opportunity there for Martial, but as you say, we've just got to wait and see. And I echo your thoughts on defence as well. I can't see Man, Man United keeping huge numbers uh, of clean sheets this year. Yeah, I mean, Chelsea hit the posters twice, didn't they? So it yeah, could have been exactly, a lot yeah. different. And they, they were all over in the first half, I heard. I didn't watch the whole game myself. I saw the highlights, but I did hear reports in our little Slack channel. We've got a little threads of all the people watching the games just commenting. And yeah, most of the people were just saying how Chelsea were doing really well. I'm just going to quickly speak about Rashford. So a lot of people thinking he's on penalties now. I did watch an interview with him just saying that he's one of five players that could could take a penalty and they like that because then keepers never know who's going to actually take the penalty so they can't prepare for it. Although he's never missed a penalty. He was playing out of position as a striker on the left, wasn't he? And mm. I know he's, you know, he's finished very well from the Pogba over the top and United, as I mentioned, look good on the counter-attack. If they're going to score, I could probably see it coming from Martial and Rashford. Uh, but I think it'll be against teams that will press high and you know, there's not loads of teams which do that in the Premiership. You know, there are a select amount, and you know, likes of Wolves. I don't think they're going to press high, and then you know, no. will benefit from that. Um, it might be the top six that they do well against. Yeah, it might be. And, then, yeah. uh, and other other than that, not really anyone else. Bless you, bully. Thank you. Thank you. I was a, I was allergic to your bullshit, Arsenal. So. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay, let's go into the uh, the general questions we've got then. So, FPL Thunder. Was Bernardo Silva missing out just a one-off after his performances last season? I would just mention here, Pep Guardiola did explain why Rio Mahrez was selected for the game against West Ham because he described Bernardo as having a little muscular problem. He He's played. not big enough. Yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily be ultrally worried if you do have Bernardo in your team. I do think that they're probably going to share the games, Mares and Bilva, as we like to call him. So, I mean, I don't know why he should be in your team. I don't think he's a good SPR asset going forward. I think you need to wait and see if he's going to get consistent numbers. But yeah, those two, I think, are just going to share a minute. So either one, I would move away either way. One of the quote from Guardiola was, you touched obviously there on the injury to Bernardo Silva, but he also said about uh, we sort of talking about Mahrez. He said the only problem Riyad had last season is is the manager. He says that a lot. He, He's he weird, refers isn't it? himself so in the third weird, person. Yeah. Uh, he said he didn't select him often enough because he had one of the best players of the season last year, Bernardo, in his in his position. Bernardo now knows. Wow, Riyad is an incredible player and has to make a step forward. So I think you're right. They're going to share minutes because I think he's going to play play them off each other and make sure that the two players are kind of making working each other play yeah. better. So yeah. Yeah, not a bad two to be able to rotate, is it? The uh, former uh, Player of the Year and uh, Bernardo Silva, who was so good last season. So, yeah, I think we'll see more of him. Hakuna Matata, love that handle from Mark Cahoas. Sorry if I butchered your name there. Uh, Chelsea still to consider due to their good fixtures. Yes, it's an interesting one with uh, Frank's lineup in the uh, in the game against United. What do you think about that, David? Well, I mean, Hakuna Matata means no worries, but I would have plenty if I was Frank Lampard right now. <laughs> very nice. Uh, <laughs> Tell me something. <laughs> really 
Um, yeah, I mean, so I mean, so the defense obviously sort of concerns me as, as and had concerned me in preseason. I mean, the, the the David Louise leaving thing was just I found so odd. I don't I don't get that at all. I mean, I know I, that I enjoyed of, it thoroughly. <laughs> I know a lot of people did, yeah. But it it just sort of, it's weird because you're now left with Zuma and Christensen to sort of like kind of, I I don't want to say that they're not capable of it, but like neither of them is a leader, are they? They're both young players and and it leaves them a bit exposed, I think. And then, so then... They've also never paired with each other as well. They're a new parent, so I think it would take time to gel. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a strange situation that they can't really fix. They can't sign anyone. So, (laughs) you know, and I think that, you, you, I mean, it, it wouldn't be the first time you saw a team, and it, I think this is what happened on on, on Saturday, where you, it's a quite a young team, and you make you have some good chances, you get a bit unfortunate, you hit the post at the bar, and then you concede in the manner that they did. It kind of it sucks the energy out of the team. I, I know they're not hugely comparable, but I think that's how Fulham were last year. They had a really good attack for like the first sort of half an hour, but then when they conceded, it, it sucked everything out of the team because they didn't have a leader in there to kind of keep everyone's heads up. You heard, heard it so, here first. David thinks Chelsea <laughs> is Fulham. So, <laughs> well, it's a it's a similar sort of uh, dynamic, I think, where I think that their forward players just could could be hampered by some defensive issues to begin with. And I don't, I can't. I, I like Frank Lampard. He was obviously a fantastic player, fantastic FPL asset as well. We have to say, but he's not really a tested manager. And I wouldn't be able to say with confidence that he would be able to sort of turn around what is quite a tricky situation. So I know they've got good fixtures and they're priced quite kindly. But I think, yeah, I'd, I, I would rather avoid Chelsea right now. We don't have to say that he was a great FPL asset. He's gone, he's done, he's not here anymore. <laughs> yeah, Frank shot away, he's had his time, hasn't he? So, Gary Hotspur, presume you're a Spurs fan. Gary, hello. Uh, Perez or Robinson from Blades, please advise. I suppose it depends what you're doing. Are you bringing him in or are you getting rid of one of them? Out of the two, I didn't think Robertson had that much in the um, Bournemouth-Sheffield United game. Sheffield United kind of kept Bournemouth at bay throughout. Uh, I wouldn't really be looking at... I did watch that whole game. I wouldn't really be looking at anyone from Sheffield, really. Nothing really that impressive. They did look well drilled in certain areas, but still stay away from them in their defence. Lundstrom was one of the players who got a bonus. Robertson didn't really have that much. Perez has got a lot of hope behind him. We did do, you know, the research last season. He's had the goals last season as well at Newcastle. He's starting in that team with the likes of Madison, who is creating, playing behind Jamie Vardy. So it will be Perez all day for me. I just hope that the hope in him comes true at some point. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight the other corner. Mm. Um, I, um, I, Perez. I, you know, you, you might catch me in a few weeks' time saying Perez is a no-brainer, but right now. My concern with Perez at the start of the season, I totally understand the interest in him, but from what we saw from pre-season, it wasn't hugely clear where Rodgers intended to use him. So he, he he was in three games for Leicester in pre-season. Annoyingly, he had a bit of an injury at the start, so didn't get to play as many minutes as we'd hoped. But he basically tried three different systems. He tried a 4-3-3, he tried a, um, a 4-1-4-1, and a 4-4-2 diamond. And in the 4-4, in the 4-1-4-1, he played Perez on the left of midfield. In the 4-3-3, he played him on the left of the front three. And in the 4-4-2 diamond, he played him as a centre forward. So that's three different roles he played in pre-season. So it's hard to really say with any degree of regularity that he's going to start as a centre forward. Because I think we all sort of agree that he was a bit peripheral against Wolves and he was deployed on the left wing of midfield, which is a bit frustrating. Uh, Robinson, on the other hand, Chris Wilder has been very, uh, very insistent in the pre-season that he is a centre forward, out and out centre forward very much seems to be kind of like the number one centre forward there to pair with probably McBurney. 
So yeah, I know what you mean. Sheffield United didn't look incredibly dangerous against Bournemouth, but you know if you're looking for someone who is definitely out of position sort of every week, I think that Robinson is is more likely to be the centre forward more often than Perez, who's a bit more of a versatile player. So yeah, it, it, it's a close one, and I may be in a few weeks' time saying something different, but yeah, Robinson just edges me, of course, saving a one million as well. Yeah, fair point. I mean, another caveat to the Robertson is that they've got about, what, four strikers? Yeah, yes, that is five true. Five strikers, McAldrick, yeah. Bernie, Sharp, Mousset. It's, it's a bit of a minefield there. You never know if he's just going to lose his place. I'm, I'm sure Wilder's not stupid. And yeah, if Robertson's not performing, then I'm sure he'll be straight out. Yeah, it could be right. Okay. So... uh not so much question, but one thing for us to consider here from FBL Classico. Uh, remind us to avoid early transfers because Liverpool, Chelsea and Wolves have midweek games. One game week is a very small sample to base changes to a squad on. We've been carefully building that squad for a long time, so don't suddenly make rash decisions. And it'll be interesting to see how the heavily defeated Norwich, West Ham United, Saints, Watford, Villa and Chelsea react uh, yeah i think that goes back to kind of a, a couple of questions we had on knee jack so just hold out if you've set up your team to go for at least a couple of weeks you just need to hold out on these transfers don't dive in on marshall i mean if you've got the likes of more and you are planning on moving him out anyway because you just don't think he's going to get anything about against city then maybe even though i think you might get someone against city or if you've got the likes of injured players like allison and yeah he needs to move or delafeu maybe he needs to go as well yeah who, who knows he may start the next game we can and score a couple so I wouldn't necessarily change all your team it's nicer to have the two transfers and then just plan a little bit further with a little bit more data and like you said there's a couple of midweek games with Wolves being in the Europa League on Thursday and Liverpool playing Chelsea in I don't know what kind of game it is some sort of winner's circle thing which is useless <laughs> the winner's circle <laughs> any thoughts on Completely useless. Uh, any thoughts on that, David? Do you feel the winner's circle is useless? <laughs> um, I mean, judging on the way that Chelsea defended the other day, I think it could be a bit of an embarrassing game for, for them. I don't know. It, yeah, it, I don't really know what to expect from that game. I mean, Klopp likes to win trophies, having not won too many cup finals before, so maybe he plays his full two. I mean, yeah, when you think about it, your team is so... I mean, I, I mean, I'm assuming most people's teams are so based around Salah and a Liverpool defender. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't be making your transfers... Um, you know, before that game, because what? Let's say you use your free transfer to move on your De La Faye or or someone, and then and then your twelve point five million asset goes and breaks his leg. You just you, then you got to pay minus four for a mistake. So yeah, I've got to echo everything that's already been said. Be patient, and like, I'm not I'm not I'm not making any transfer this week. The earlier you can bank your free transfer, the the easier it is to sort of plan uh, ahead and you know make your changes with a with just. Well, I mean, you can maybe take a a hit to do uh, three transfers in game week three, which could, could uh, you know, so they call it the mini wildcard, don't they? So, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Um, we've got Davey Danger has said, how bad is it when you transferred your six million striker for more pay, but turns out it was actually Murray. <laughs> I thought that was pretty nice. Oh, well, well, did he misread the player's name? Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's classic. I, I think that's good work. More pay doesn't look too bad, actually. He did all right when he came on. But again, another wait and see. Yeah, we don't we don't hear enough accidental transfers. Well done, Davy Danger, loving that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mad Hatter, 
Oh, God, here we go. Since I'm balls deep in the cherry pie, which segments do I shake off in game week three and who to replace them with after what we've seen so far? Yeah, Bournemouth were very uninspiring against Sheffield. I did watch the whole game. They started with three at the back, and I think that stagnates the likes of Fraser. I don't think from this game they are worth investing in, but you can't really judge it just based on this game. And also Sheffield United, I think, played quite well. My plan of moving out Fraser and, and Wilson game week three, I hope I can stick to that, barring injuries and things, because I can't really see if they can't do well against Sheffield United. I don't hold much hope against any better teams after the Villa game, which I am holding on to. But it's only one game. Maybe I'm not giving Sheffield United, you know, maybe I'm giving them a disservice. I haven't really watched them very much last year, so you can't really blame me. But obviously, I think you hang on to your Bourne facets for the Villa game and just look to remove next week. Maybe a bit knee-jerky to remove right now. I, I think so. You, I think you've got to hold on to those players. Um, I didn't really watch much of Sheffield United last year either, uh, I will confess. But um, over the summer, I did research them quite a lot, as I had to. And uh, what I can tell you is they had the most number of clean sheets in the championship last year. So they are a team that are hard to break down. Uh, they have a really weird system. And our, the three of us, I'm sure, have, have played football manager, FIFA, all manner of sort of computer games related to football. We, we've picked formations for, for all manner of tactical situations. Of course, we pick our formations for FPL as well. But I have never, ever seen anything quite like what Sheffield United play. It's the weirdest thing I've seen in my life. It's a 3-5-2 where basically you it, it's similar to what Wolves do in that they've got wing backs that overlap. But Chris Wilder also then overlaps his centre backs yeah. over the top of the wing backs. And they're all so fit that they can cover effectively. So they're never too exposed from doing that. They kind of have a nice rotation. And, you know, John Lundstrom, for example, in the central midfield uh, is quite a defensive type. Well, he has defensive capabilities. So they're all very good at rotating around and sort of covering each other. And I think it probably just perplexed Bournemouth a bit. And I think it will perplex a lot of teams this year. I think Sheffield United could be sort of one of these teams that do frustrate a lot of people because they're going to have to. They're going to have to. That's how they're going to stay up is by keeping things tight. Uh, the other thing on Bournemouth, they played 3-4-3. They were kind of forced into it because they've got a few uh, injuries in wide midfield. So Dan Juma, the new signing's come in and he's got a bit of a niggle. Brooks is out for a while. Stanislas is out for a while. So I think they were forced into 3-4-3. Completely agree with you. I think it stagnates what they're capable of. But I do hold out hope for this Villa game because Villa did look quite tight for large portions of the Spurs game. But you've got to expect that Villa at home to Bournemouth, they're going to go for it. right? They're going to play a more attacking, more free-flowing game of football, probably leave some more spaces behind, which is going to be good for Fraser and Wilson to work in. So, yeah, I I would be very surprised if there weren't attacking returns for Wilson and Fraser against Aston Villa. Yeah, I had some information from FPL Stato found out. Aston Villa's home record last season, they were third for goals scored, but they're actually 23rd for goals conceded on 36 at home. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and also Villa had 19 home games where they conceded two or more goals. So I can see some goals here as well. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I know they recruited in the summer. They got Heaton Mings signed on loan in January, so he signed uh, in the summer as well. They didn't use Target in the last game. It's, it'll be interesting. I think that this will be a decent game. Quick, uh, I'm going to do a quick name drop here, Iceman, if we could. Yeah, I'm not sure if we've mentioned this on the pod before, but uh, Sheffield United's reserve goalkeeper, Simon Moore. Oh, good friend of us. <laughs> yes, uh, so we went to school with him, and his dad was actually my football manager when I played for Braiding back when I was uh, 18 and 19. So, fantastic coach. Well, his, both his sons went on to play professional football in the Premier League, the Championship and League One. His brother, Stu, got promoted with NK Dons last year. 
Simon's doing brilliant at Sheffield United. Um, I went on to get a dog. So <laughs> that life works out um, fairly similar. But no, there we go. Quick, a quick clang. A on massive clang, yeah. A quick clang. I like but it. Yeah, bizarre, bizarre tactics from Sheffield United, but they're where they are for a reason. And don't Absolutely. get off Big Billy Sharp up front. So in answer to Mad Hatter's question, hang on and then get rid of Game Week 3, I reckon. <laughs> That'll be a flowing conversation there, yeah. I man. Right, so let's move on to Alan Duffin. Uh, John McGinn at 5.5 already looks like the bargain of the season for a fourth-playing midfield option to release funds for elsewhere. Do we pull the trigger? Oh, yeah, so kind of what I said earlier. Also, he did get a lot of yellow cards last year. I mean, he did look good pre-season as well and you know, scored a decent goal. But as I mentioned earlier, I think people were ranting on about him too much to buy. Really, you know, it's the six goals and ten assists last season in the Championship. It isn't really much to be sniffed at, but yeah, he's more of an enabler at 5.5. Yeah, I uh, I, I quite like him again. I, I would be surprised if I don't own him at some point in the season because I sort of I think he's going to have a good year. He's one of these players who so a lot of people when they think of Villa, they think of Jack Grealish. Who I'm not saying isn't a good player. He is a good player. But um, in terms of attacking returns, uh, McGinn tends to, tended to be involved in those more often uh, than Grealish did. And weirdly, the central midfield players actually they play four three three. Those central midfield trio. Um, actually kind of look actually more exciting FPL assets than the front three. Um, and um, just to sort of worry anyone else, the great Mark Southerns, um, who always makes very enigmatic decisions that weirdly pay off, he actually has McGinn and his team right now, picked him for game week one, put him on the bench. So, you know, he's kind of, um, he's, he's made a slightly, slight error of judgment to begin with, but he's got him in his team. So that's why I'm just sort of, anything that man does, it tends to come off. So I, I do think that McGinn will eventually come good but for the rest of us mere mortals who aren't Mark Sevens we probably need to see uh, a little bit more on the pitch first he, he is literally the cream of the crop of FPL Mark Sevens isn't he Are you, maybe, maybe we can get him on actually <laughs> well I'll see what I can do he's, yeah. he's very much behind the scenes now but well we, we'll see we'll see <laughs> oh, nice. okay um, so the Iceman has had the uh, the brass to ask a, a question on his own podcast so XG XA Sterling's goal from KDB pass had an XG of 0.43 for Sterling the KDB's XA for the entire match was only 0.06. Also, despite him creating two big chances, thoughts on XG and XA? And I'm not answering that, so David, that's coming to you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> We've had a yeah. discussion in our Slack, and I just kind of want to direct it at you and see what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I, I don't like to try... I, don't, I often don't like to go into too much massive detail on XG because I think sometimes you can sort of get bogged down in it. And... Um, for me, I think it's. I don't exclusively use XG. I like to try and use it um, in conjunction with a few other things. So, for example, I'm sort of going to hark back to the members area here. It relies on often what Optic deems a big chance, for example. And so then if you want something... So I can completely understand why that can be confusing for people, the XG. I'm not saying don't use XG. I think you should use it. It's certainly, if you're going to sort of rank players by XGI or let's say... You know, the, Bourne, the the Brighton game, another perfect example where you see plenty of people getting attacking returns, but then you go and look at the XG for Brighton and it was below one. So the data is saying they should have only scored 0.7 goals, I think, and they scored three. So it's really good for checking if a team's overachieving or underachieving. But if you want something to sort of maybe make it a bit simpler for you, uh, a few, few like basically less decimal points, if you use big chances... That can that can be helpful. So you know, for players having shots, they can they can be afforded big chances. Players who are more creative can create big chances. So you know, last season Ryan Fraser created more chances that, in the opinion of Opta, were big than any other player. 
And I know he hasn't had a fantastic start to game week one, but when you look at what he did last season, it's sort of it's a good way of checking if someone something's sustainable. You know, you sometimes see if a player's yeah, ten that, goals and that's what I use it for, just kind of checking on what yeah. your opinion is and stuff. It's a sanity check, isn't to it? Back you look you up at, on turn. Yes, and it, it's not the be all to end all, I don't think, but I still think you should use it. It's a really good tool for making sure that what someone is doing is is sustainable. That's just the bottom line of it, really. Yeah, agree. Okay, so I think we've uh, some some great answers there. Well done with that last one there, David. That takes us on to the Iceman's Piss. Thank you very much for that. Okay, welcoming the Iceman back from his tinkle. Thank you. We all empty, Iceman? Uh, yep, hands washed. Lovely. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. Right, let's talk about Mikel Tokfam's algorithm. So, last week, this is the team it would have churned out. Ryan in goal, got that one right. Coleman at the back with Robertson, Alexander-Arnold and Walker. Again, sound back four. Sigurdsson, De Bruyne, Salah and Barkley through the middle and uh, Wilson and King up front. So apart from the strike force there, pretty impressive. It even called Puki on the bench, Dendonka who had a goal disallowed, Lundstrom and Heaton. So that team would have got you 72 points. So none of the highest scoring, but still by all accounts a decent score, Iceman. I'm sure we'll agree. Yeah, pretty good. Okay, so based on the Iceman's team, so we said we were going to test this across the course of the season. It's recommending that the Iceman swaps Jota for Puki, Fraser for Martial, or Perez for McGinn. Yeah, so they're the three. You do offen- those Iceman, are you? They're the three offensive chances. I'm not doing any of them. You've done them yet? No, I'm not doing any of them. Okay. Uh, but they're the ones that he's suggesting. So next week we can see if I did that, whether or not I would would have benefited from it. Yeah, let's see. Well, if you want to find out a bit more about that, go to patreon.com forward slash transfer algorithm. Transfer algorithm. So, yeah, exciting stuff. I'm going to keep my eye on that when I get stuck for what to bloody do next. Um, We're also partnered with the Fantasy Football Hub and have been given the exclusive sign-up offer code of surgery10. If you go to fantasyfootballhub.co.uk, you can sign up for there for 10% off. Easy money. Easy money. So talking about easy money, let's think about transfers and captains for the next week. So I appreciate I've been a bit more silent on this pod. So I'm going to go first. I'm actually thinking of saving my transfer this week. I'm much more in the camp of you guys talking about can we read too much into game week one? I don't think we can. So I'm going to save my transfer and I'm going to probably put the, I will, I'll commit to it. I'm going to put the Armand on Big Mo for this next game week. Fair, very fair. Nice man, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Nothing this game week. I'm going to do exactly the same as you and put the captaincy on Salah. I'm teeing up my transfers for next week. And uh, come on the Bournemouth. You can do it against Villa. Come on. Yeah, Dave? Yeah, I'm going to be really boring and just do exactly what you guys have said as well. As we're going to complete copy. clean, sweep, full house of uh, exactly the same thing. No transfer. I love making no transfers. I mean... When you think about how stressful this game can be, looking at your squad and going, do you know what? Don't need to change that. It's great because, yeah, you can just enjoy the week rather than worry about everything you need to, to do with your team. Um, Salah, almost certainly going to put it on him. I'm, I've looked at Sterling and think he could do well, but uh, just when you consider the opposition, Southampton at home, uh, I think is, an, is a much more 
uh, likely proposition that Salah's going to sort of do well there than Sterling at home to Spurs. Well, he could do well against Spurs, but it's a top six team. You know, these top six clashes are always a lot more unpredictable. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of grazed over the captaincy there, just thinking it was automatic on Salah. But yeah, <laughs> you've, you've got a good point. I mean, Sterling could be a good option against Tottenham at home. You know, he scores wherever he plays. I kind of have thought a little bit about the Bournemouth assets in terms of captaining Wilson. You're thinking that, you know, Howe's going to maybe shove a rocket out their asses and they're going to get it together for this game. But for me, just the easy, comfortable one would be Southampton away, Salah. I just think that there are points there. I can't see him not coming away with anything. So yeah, that's why I'm on Salah. Yeah, hard one to, uh, hard one to ignore Salah against the Saints. Okay, well, before we leave you, let's go through our respective mini leagues. So, first of all, we're going to comment on the Patreon mini league this year. So, in fourth place, we're going to give you the top four. So, joint, well, joint third, effectively. Dendonka Kong, love that from Lee Baring. Panther FC, that's Todd Rollap. Regress to Mean, Brian Lowry in second. And the Icepans pisses first with Justin Dye. Pulling in an awesome 100 points for the game week. Very impressed with that. Very well done, Justin. They captained Salah, vice-captain Aubameyang. So, yeah, well done, Justin. A consistent high performer. Let's see how that league unravels. Now for the FPL Surgery Podcast Public Mini League, where the code is CCCJK2. You'll be forgiven for thinking it looks like cock. Because <laughs> it does a bit. So CCCJK2 to join the Surgery Podcast Mini League. In 10th place, we've got Yassin's Reds, Yassin Jotev. In 9th place, Wendia like Beckham, Matt Bickerton. In 8th, we've got FC Grevling Bites, Marius Lund. At joint 7th with Dibala Klava, Dan Fenn, loving your work. We've then got Dale of Norway, Raymond Dale. No, no too much giving away, guessing where he's from. <laughs> Pele Alley, that's nice. And Russell Pickett. Ollie's at the wheel, Nick Metcalf. Third place is Devlar's Dragons, Neil Davis. Ill-timed guff in hand, Bill Fran in second. And FC Sterling Silver, Lee Cannon up in first. Great score first game week, 110 points, captaining Ari. And vice captain yeah, I quite like that one. Yeah, very, very good. And I'm very pleased to see that I've not had to butcher too many names in that first very readout well done, season. Well. So uh, please do send complaints at the end when we uh, give you the opportunity. Um, Iceman, I'm going to dip into the feedback box. And uh, I'm loving this Marvel theme. We've got FPL Vader um, has said, this was brilliant. First time listening to a full-length FPL podcast in reference to your podcast with Hogsrad. I plan to tune in again. Thank you very much. It's nice to have new listeners. We did get a lot of listens that last podcast. So, yeah, we hope to have a lot more listeners on board now. Yeah, thank you, FPL Vader. We uh, hope you don't turn to the dark side and go to any other podcast. Stick with the surgery. <laughs> okay. Any sexy thoughts, Iceman? Yes, there is. I will play it now. FPL sexy with sexy thoughts. It's actually a sexy idea this week. And it's inspired by Neil Young the amazing musician and his not-so-amazing digital computer electronic album called Trans. The reason he done Trans was because he has a son who can't communicate verbally. So Neil Young thought he'd do an electronic album, something that he knows nothing about, something that he couldn't communicate musically with to understand his son's position better. So what I've done, I've taken that a bit further. For the next 24 hours, I'm going to try and communicate with people non-verbally as much as I can. And it'll give me appreciation of what I have 
It'll give me an understanding of other people's situation. It might make me a little bit more open-minded. It'll make me think more about certain things and appreciate how lucky I am. Anyway, you! <laughs> you! Feel sexy with oh, sexy thoughts. Oh, no, put it again. <laughs> Brett there. Yeah, he did actually say to me that um, he did that all day, 9 till 5. He had to type stuff on, on his phone to people. So it was really hard. So, yeah... Solid effort there, Brett. Really enjoyed that one. That man is morality defined as Brett. But awesome. uh, yeah. So some final some final questions. And this one I think is quite important, Ice Man. This is from Helmo yeah. from Slack. Following a, a culinary theme that went down very well last season, Helmo was asked, uh, what's your favourite sandwich? Now here's his incidentally, an egg, tomato and salad cream from MS. Uh, if it's homemade, yesterday's roast beef with horseradish with a 15-second blast in the microwave just to soften up the beef and melt the butter on the bread. That sounds lovely. That's very involved. Um, let, let's come to our guest first of all. What, what would you, Dave, what, what would your favourite sandwich be? Yeah, so my favourite sandwich, uh, so I noticed he's gone for something from a shop, which I, which I completely understand, but I quite like a homemade sandwich using a, a bagel. I don't, know if I, can, I don't know if I can count that. Uh, as a sandwich, I suppose it is a sandwich. I'd likely toast it. We can it. go with that. Oh, we can go. Okay, that's good. They're off the hook. I'd likely toast it for about a minute in the toaster, wait for it to cool down, then put on some mayo and some chicken, and and that's it. Very that's, basic. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> that is, that is, <laughs> David, that is beige at best. <laughs> I'm really boring with my food. I really am. But yeah, I, I love a, I love a chicken mayo. Chicken mayo. Okay, and uh, ice man. Um, yeah, I'm going to scrap past that. So, uh, <laughs> if you're really looking at the best sandwich possible, you've got to choose the toasty bread. Uh, you will get some bacon, you will get a few sausages, and you will toast that toasty bread, you will put some butter on that toasty bread. Yeah, a bacon sausage sandwich with a little bit of ketchup. That is probably the best sandwich that you can have. Not healthy, no, but at the moment, I'm not on a diet, so it's fine. Too involved, Iceman. Too involved. Too, too much heating going on let's keep this old school we're going to get two slices of hovis we're going to slather it in butter we're going to slather on some pickle and then we're going to reach for the cupboard and pull out a can of corned beef i've just been sick we're, we're gonna yeah we're gonna layer that on um smash them together a few little crisps on the side a bag of uh, what was it last season mccoy's was the winner and that's your lunch sorted no that's that's nutrition no real real nutrition don't like it yeah, you'll find corned beef in the spam aisle. So. <laughs> anyway, um, no, uh, any more culinary questions, uh, please keep them coming in. It's always a nice way to end the pod. So let's tell you how you can get involved and uh, contact us. So as usual, uh, patreon.com forward slash FPL surgery if you want to support the podcast or if you want to get involved in all the great stuff that we're doing on there, um, have opportunities to win prizes such as T-shirts, stress balls, mats, mugs, um, the Ice Man Soul, you name it, we're giving it away on there. So, some really good prizes. Uh, join the uh, Fantasy Football Surgery Podcast Mini League. The code, as I said, is CCCJK2. Check us out at FPLSurgery.com. We're on Facebook, SoundCloud, Reddit, Twitter. Our handle is at FPLSurgery. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, so give us a, a comment or a rating if you listen on there. And for any complaints about what we've said today, please info at fplsurgery.com so we can uh, we can formally manage your complaint. I've been enjoying those emails recently, actually, so thank you, uh, listeners, for all them. Excellent. Yeah, no spam, please, just uh, constructive criticism. Just lots of complaints, yeah. <laughs> lots of complaints, yeah. Um, Dave, thank you so much for giving us your time to join us. We've kept you over as a... Uh, 
all of our previous guests will attest to, but brilliant <laughs> having you on board. Just tell it, just a plug for everything you're doing for anyone who happens to not know about you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Fantasy Football Scout this week, uh, we've got plenty going on. Uh, we've uh, gone through every game week one game in excruciating detail, and members can uh, have a look at some of the stats we've talked about on this uh, podcast, actually, in uh, in full with some nice heat maps and some, some images there. We've done our captain video today. Scoutcast will be on Tuesday night. We've had our team news videos Thursday, Friday to keep you informed on uh, all the latest injuries. And we'll have our breakfast club on Saturday as well, where we can document uh, our, our basically our staff panicking before the Saturday morning deadline, which I, I, I know is very popular because a lot of people can relate to it. So, yeah, plenty going on on Fantasy Football Scout this week. That's a great advertisement. I like that. Yeah, thank you for coming on, David. Really appreciate it. It's been a great guest. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been great to uh, to come on. There's, uh, there's so many podcasts out there. I wish I could go on all of them. So I'm glad I can tick the surgery off my list. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, she'll be invited back in the future. Iceman, that brings us to the end of the first review podcast of the season. Any, any kind of final words heading into this game week? Uh, there's never any. Words well, there has been. There has been. No. Uh, uh, come on. No. Uh, one, one thing. No, it's not happening. Fine. Fine. Well, on that bombshell, uh, thanks for listening once again. We look forward to another weekend of FPL. And uh, we will talk to you after the next game. Uh, up the pod. Up the pod. you got to say up the pod, David. Oh, uh, up the pod. <laughs> Forced. <laughs> It's a new season, business as usual for Klopp and Pep on the FPL surgery. Oh, that's what I'm going on. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Right, said... Let me try again. Five seconds. Five seconds, is that it? Yeah. That will be an outtake.